Hey everyone, I am Corey Andrew, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Bruce Sussman, accomplished songwriter and one of the creative geniuses behind the successful Broadway show Harmony the Musical with music by Barry Manilow and the book and lyrics by Mr. Bruce Sussman. Now, the musical tells the true story of the comedian harmonist, and they were an ensemble of six young men in 1920s Germany who took the world by storm with their sophisticated musical comedy act until their careers and lives were derailed by the rise of Nazism. So, Bruce, thanks for joining me today to talk about this. Oh, my pleasure, Corey. Thank you. Yes, yes, you're very welcome. And before we begin, just a little bit of the, I'll get the frivolous out of the way mm-hmm. first. Um, you are, I have to tell everyone, the co-writer of Copacabana with Barry Manilow. Like I, I cannot. <laughs> that's <laughs> that alone means I'm in the presence of greatness. So let's just start with that. <laughs> I mean, wow. So uh, that's pretty amazing. You've been writing with Barry for a long time, though, correct? Fifty-one years. Wow, fifty-one years. Yeah. I mean, that, in Hollywood, I mean, that is like, we should be in the Guinness <laughs> Book of Records. <laughs> Absolutely. That is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think at one point, too, I believe Copacabana had become a show as well, right? Based yes. on the song. Yes. Um, it was uh, Dick Clark, actually, uh, approached us about doing a television, made-for-television musical. There hadn't mm-hmm. been one since Rodgers and Hammerstein and Cinderella in right, the 1950s. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was an incredible idea. I thought it was very brave of him, you know, Dick Clark, who had his pulse on you know, the American uh, tastes. Yeah. And uh, so we, uh, he said, could you do a made-for-television musical based on your hit record? So we did. Mm. And it was successful. And then a British producer came in and said, could you expand it to a full-length Broadway show and we'll open it in London's West End? Wow. Which we did. And then it toured and then it came to America and toured in America. So it was the song that kept on giving. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And I remember being a five-year-old kid, um, you know, jamming to it. So, I mean, I I was five when I wrote it. (laughs) That's what I assumed. I didn't want to, you (laughs) know, I I figured as much. I thought maybe four or five, but, uh, but also then I want to just moving forward to Harmony. Of course, I want to congratulate you as well. You have won the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Book from a Musical. So that's amazing. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that's like uh, one of those things where you really sort of feel like, okay, the vision has come full circle. Like I wasn't crazy with this idea. <laughs> like people no, get it. No, and the drama desk particularly because it's so singularly focused. You know, it's it's such a, 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 a in-the-know group of people mm-hmm. who write exclusively about the theater. Um, you know, it was in, I didn't know this until I went to the awards. The, uh, the term drama desk award, that uh, was born in the 1950s when every newspaper in the country had a financial desk and a mm. sports desk and a news desk and a drama desk. Wow. Okay. Who knew that, you know, things have changed so much that a newspaper in Tulsa, Oklahoma would have a drama desk mm. covering news of the stage. Wow. And that's how different our entertainment world has become that Mm. such a thing doesn't exist anymore except in the big papers in new york right well that makes it more prestigious in a way too that you still can get you know get that accolade so that's wonderful now when it comes to obviously the storyline of harmony as i I just shared Mm -hmm. a little bit about now i had never heard this story before and i was immediately intrigued when rob shooter shared with me that you were working on on this and and what it was about and i was like well mm-hmm. how do we not know this of course there's many things in history that we of course don't know because they have just been overlooked or forgotten but in this case i'm curious when did you learn about the comedian harmonist and and what prompted you to then say I'm going to create a show around it because that's a really big undertaking. You just articulated why I wrote the show. 
which is I went to see a documentary in 1991, uh, the public theater downtown, Mm -hmm. home of the New York Shakespeare Festival. Uh, They used to have amongst their many theaters down there, they had a screening room where they screened uh, art films and documentaries. And there was a review in the New York Times of this documentary that they were screening down there with a very compelling photograph of six young men, hair brilliantined, white tie and tails. It was clearly 1920s, 1930s. And I read the review and I said, gosh, who are these people and why don't I know about them? Mm-hmm. So I went down and it was a Tuesday, rainy Tuesday night in April. And I went down and watched three and a half hours of German documentary making with subtitles. Not my usual <laughs> idea of a good time on a no. Tuesday night. And I came out of there with my head spinning. Uh, the story was astonishing. The thematic issue of a quest for harmony in what turned out to be the most discordant chapter in human history mm. was very, very compelling to me as a writer. Yeah. But ultimately, I said, why don't I know about these people? And then I realized why I don't know is the story of harmony. Yeah. And that's what that's what turned my lights on. That's what mm-hmm. got me excited about writing the piece. Yeah. And without giving, I guess, too much away from people who will eventually see the show, I think there's a greater responsibility too when you're doing a a production like this and it's based on real people versus fictitious characters, right? Yes. So in that regard, share a little bit about the extended research when you really want to get into the lives of these actual individuals. Well, when I started, they were all gone, but one. Mm. Um, and the one who was still alive, who is the lead of our uh, play, played by Chip Zion on Broadway, uh, he was living in Palm Springs at the time, unbeknownst to us, just a couple of blocks away from where Barry oh was gosh. living and writing a score about his life story. Um, and then when that was made aware, Barry just he Barry would literally walk the dogs by his house every day, not knowing that he was living there. Oh my goodness. And so the, he just went over there one day and knocked on the door and introduced himself. Uh, and they talked, I, I called him, he, his number was listed in the Palm Springs directory. <laughs> and, and I just picked up the phone and called him. Uh, and, uh, we spoke for about 45 minutes. He was in his nineties. He was bright as a button and, mm. and the ham was still there, a kosher ham, but the ham, <laughs> the ham was still there. The vaudevillian was still there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the first thing he said to Barry, and one of the first things he said to be was, had they not stopped us, we would have been bigger than the Beatles. Mm. And, and they were huge. Uh, they made a million. Uh, they they sold millions of records. They made thirteen movies. Uh, performed around the world in the greatest concert halls and theaters, from La Scala to Carnegie Hall. And they performed with the greats of their day: uh, Josephine Baker, Marlena Dietrich, both of whom are characters in our show. Mm. Um, and uh, then, because some of them were Jewish and some of them were not. Um, this this shooting star of a career they had came to a very sudden and abrupt end. Mm, that's so terrifying and sad. And I mean, again, representative of so many, obviously millions of people uh, who were impacted in that era. But um, as we just said, it shows how many unknown and untold stories yes. there are. And well, you know, um, it- I, I had um, I had two uh, when I when I entered this project, I knew that I had to make sure that I was on that. Uh, my moral compass was set straight that that if I was going to do the story, number one, there was a moral imperative to tell the story. And number two, that I had the moral authority to tell it. Mm-hmm. So I sought the counsel of two survivors. And one of them said something to me. I said to her, um, can this story be told 
given that so much worse happened to so many others. Mm. And she said, for 50 years, um, the only thing we could comprehend and the only thing we could talk about was the six million. It took us 50 years just to accept that that happened. Mm. And it's not a statistic that it's six million individual lives that were snuffed out. Mm. She said, now that we've begun to take that in, we are obligated to tell all the other stories and all the other stories will emerge. Well, boy, was she right. Because right yeah. around then, all these other stories started uh, uh, coming out mm -hmm. uh, from the stolen artwork yeah. to, uh, you know, the complicity of the so-called neutral nation, Switzerland, Sweden, and all of them. Where and the artwork the was found. This was one of the... Yeah, and the artwork was like found in all their homes and stuff yes. like it. Yeah, in those neutral countries. Yeah, yeah. There have been three or four, three or four movies made about it um, mm -hmm. already, and uh, yeah, it's um, uh, it, 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 it the story, and they keep coming. I'll, they'll I'll I'll turn on the internet or or open the newspaper, and there's another story. Just when you thought you heard every conceivable story, there is there's another one. Mm -hmm. And so, it's interesting too because that is really aligned with the. The historic fascination the world has always had with the diary of Anne Frank. Yes. It's it's the individual. Like we know the six million, but here was this look at an individual young person living through it in her day to day. And so when you think about that and how many more of those stories are out there. Yeah, today, six million is just is a statistic. Mm. One person is a tragedy. Mm, yeah. So many more stories that to learn yeah. from. Now, when it comes to now, it's a musical story. So there's that kind of added component where musicals typically are not tragic. They're typically uplifting. Right. And, you know, so you have this balance in your job here. You have this balance of trying to tell this heart-wrenching story, but it also has to captivate, uh, inspire, celebrate, and be mm -hmm. joyful. So what's that process like when it comes to, you know, were there any challenges with, with, with that balance of trying to tell the story and also create yes. like a uplifting music? Yes, but they made it a little easier for me. And one of the reasons why I was attracted to it, they were the comedian harmonists. Mm. They were funny. So my idea was that the in the first act, I would create this beautiful, funny, glamorous world that is deconstructed in the second act. So, um, and then in the second act too, in all their performance pieces, uh, I saved some of their funniest numbers for the second act to serve as a foil to what is going on in the outside, uh, mm -hmm. outside world. Yeah. So the fact that they were, uh, Barry's fond of saying that to put it in modern terms, they were the Manhattan transfer meets the Marx brothers. <laughs> and that's what they did. They mm -hmm. found, uh, they did this incredible, sophisticated six part harmony, mind bendingly difficult harmony. And they added physical humor. Well, there had never been an act like that, and I can't think of one since. Mm, yeah, especially with the demand on the body when you're moving to be able to actually maintain yes. harmonies yes. to that degree, because it's very difficult with movement and uh, maintaining vocals. And, yeah. and I think in that sense, this cast is truest to the original of any cast we've had because they are young and and uh, and uh, they have re truly replicated the sound of the guys and the physical humor of the guys. That's so funny because my next question was the cast, to talk about yeah. this cast, because this cast is very celebrated. Yes. And I've, every time I see anyone talk about them online or in Facebook groups, they're like, oh, this cast, and they look amazing. They're gorgeous and talented. So tell me a little bit more about them. I mean, was it difficult? Was it one of those like difficult casts where you, know, you search the world or these, these six guys came and just knocked you out immediately? 
Well, uh, when they individually came in, yes, they knocked us out, but it was a long, grueling process. We were in casting for four or five months. And, um, you know, we knew with the principals, we pretty much had them uh, uh, in terms of um, Chip Zion and Sierra Bagas and Julie Banco. That was that was fairly straightforward. But the six, it was not only finding six triple threats, but also trying to capture in each of them the essence of who these six individuals were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, a, a director once said to me, cast the actor in neutral who best replicates the character you wrote. Mm. And we, we managed to do that. Uh, they are, they are wonderful. The six of them are great. They are so young and talented and, uh, you know, there's nothing we can't ask them to do, you know? Yeah. Can you do that again, but do it standing on your head and spinning around? I mean, <laughs> they'll do it. They'll yeah, just yeah. go ahead and, and do it. They're remarkable. Wow, that's amazing. And, I, and for anyone who's listening who has not done a Broadway audition, <laughs> oh. I mean, it's very difficult too. And like I did that for many years, you know, got the call back, the call back, the call yep. back. And the fifth call back, you're guaranteed like, this is it. They're going to call it. And yep. then like, you don't get it. So uh, I had to tell Bernard Telsey, like, look, don't call me again. I'm just going to move on because I can't. I can't, it, I can't it, take the pressure. So. It's brutal. And then the the just the algebra of putting all the pieces together. The, you have six guys. They have to look different from each other. So mm-hmm. if you have two that look alike, that guy isn't going to have the edge over some other guy who looks, you know, so it comes down to things like that. Yeah, There's six yeah. individuals and you have to make it easy for the audience to be able to remember who's who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and know? especially, too, with this particular situation, these this group of, of guys, they were close. So there was yes. also a, a a relationship that has to be believable, which kind of has to translate between who you cast as well, that you'd believe that these guys would be synonymous that way. And they figured that out and they have bonded. As a matter of fact, the week before rehearsals began, they all took a vacation together. Oh, wow. Look at that. They went up to the cabin in the Adirondacks <laughs> and uh, they amazing. had a wonderful time. And that was them becoming a unit. Mm-hmm. And that's who they are. That's spectacular. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, building a show like this, were there any times where you had uh, moments where you watched and you said, Okay, this is a memorable moment where I, I see this vision coming through. I mean, because in the beginning, there's sometimes you don't really know yeah. where the show is going. But was there a moment for you where you go, ah, yes, yes, this is going to work? Early on, um, you know, we we did have a number of regional productions before we came to New York. Uh, very early on, there's a um, this show ends um, unconventionally uh, in that there's, without giving too much away, there's a long monologue. Mm-hmm. Most musicals don't have monologues because monologues become songs. Right. Um, but in this piece, this this moment required that we not sing, that it be spoken. And it's a long monologue. And I always worried if at the end of a show and people are thinking about, you know, getting down the aisle and getting mm-hmm. the car out of the garage and all of that other stuff, or the babysitter at home, mm-hmm. um, can I hold them? For this monologue, it, there's a big song that happens after that, but can I hold them for the monologue? And the first couple of times it was done and there was pin drop silence in the house. I said, okay, I'm on to something. Mm-hmm. And that is the measure for me. Every night that I see this uh, show is there pin drop silence 
for the monologue at the end because everything that precedes it that some some audiences are hotter than others some right. laugh more some applaud more than others but if there's that pin drop silence in the in the final monologue chip's final monologue then i know we've succeeded and done our job yeah you get that consistent response despite yeah. the 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 nuances that change as you mentioned every night yeah. can be a different performance yeah. but you get that same response every night in that one moment yeah. so you know yeah. you're on to something that's great. And I, you know, I, you and I also chatted before we began the recording um, mm -hmm. about the correlation between world events right now and the show itself. And you told me something very profound, which was that you literally found yourself sort of trying to keep up with today's headlines because we're mm -hmm. in a place again where so many of the themes covered in Harmony are literally happening in real time. What goes through your mind now to almost see this repeat? of history it, in some aspects. It's head spinning, Corey. Um, you know, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, every time we did a production of Harmony, Atlanta, Los Angeles, the regional productions, uh, the tryout productions, people always said, oh, now's the perfect time because there is a spike in anti-Semitism in the world. Okay. We come to New York and then this happens. Uh, it, it, it just, I, I, it's jaw dropping. Uh, and uh, there are, as I mentioned to you, there are now lines in the show uh, where people have an audible response or they actually applaud when the lines happen. That never happened before. And it's happening because the show is resonating in a way it never has before because of the headlines. Mm. And that is to a point where it concerns me. I, I say, God, it's great that they're having this response. But do they think that I'm writing this to the headlines rather right. than the fact that these lines are 15 and 20 years old mm. and are simply getting a response now that they've never gotten before? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's remarkable because uh, th there could be that misunderstanding that yeah. you are sort of like almost pandering to the headline, if you yeah. will. And um, But anyone who really is paying attention would know, quite honestly, if you just, I mean, it's a very simple thing to, to uh, understand that this is just the climate. Yeah. That word there, there's a um there's a scene in act two um completely different from the headlines right now just a different set of headlines uh, earlier there's a scene in act two when uh one of the german officials comes in and he tries to ingratiate himself to the group he uh, uh being a member of the uh, party the nazi party has now gotten him to be able to rub elbows with celebrities so he's mm -hmm. trying to make nice with these guys and it doesn't work out very well. They kind of reject his friendship. And he appeals to one of the members of the group to say, you know, have your guys play with us because we're we're going to be the ruling party and we're the ones that are going to make the rules. So you should be on our side rather than being on anybody else's side. And he says, this really isn't my domain. I'm just doing this as a favor. My domain is the tracking down of abortionists and homosexuals. Mm. Unbelievable. Well, that line has been there since 1997. The night after the the Dodd decision, when Roe v. Wade was struck down, that line got a gasp in the audience that shook me. And I went, oh, my God. Uh, you know, it just, again, a line that is decades old gets completely new response because of something that's in the headlines. Yes, Not completely yes. separate from what happened on October 7th. Right, yeah. And also the context in which that line is used i mean it's it's aligned with people who are hunting down right 
people to punish or imprison or worse who right. performed abortions. I mean, so even the context of how that line is used, right. and now here we are with yes. certain courts actually proposing those sorts of things exactly. in 2023. Exactly. So, you know, gays and abortionists, and uh, it's it's sadly timeless. Mm. Yeah, that's really sort of um, yeah, goosebumps, you know, mm. <laughs> with that sort of assessment. Wow. You know, that was I was going to ask you, like, were there purpose, I guess, conscious themes that you were trying to put into the show? But I mean, again, the show is what it is, and it's just sort of how the public is going yeah. to pursue it based on the current world. Yeah. And again, about. because so much of it, particularly in the first act, is frothy and entertaining and funny, when this stuff happens, it seems to land even more forcefully mm -hmm. because of its contrast to what has preceded it. Right. Which is similar to, I think, about a show like Cabaret, for example. Absolutely. Right? There's that whole thing happening where, like, there's this whole other world with the homosexuals, with the cabaret right. performers, with the, right. and they're underground, and they're looking through the door because they don't want to be found out. So, yep. um, it just, Bruce, just terrifying that we're kind of in that same place again. It's yes. just terrifying to me that um, all those rights are being oppressed once again. And so what I'm hoping for this show is that it continues to build dialogue. Because what I'm finding now with what's going on, for example, with the Gaza uh, conflict, is that no matter how much people try to engage in diplomatic conversation, it never goes well. You can try to be down no. the middle. People accuse you of both sidism. You can then yep. side with one side or the yep. other, and then they tell you that you should be siding with the other side. So uh, perhaps a musical um, that can be, people can kind of look retro, uh, introspectively at when they right. see it perhaps can yeah, help. I wonder often I often wonder that very thing when I sit in the back of the house and people have a response to a line and there's applause or or what or a gasp or whatever I say that's great I wonder if their politics are the same as mine <laughs> or if this is something that knows no politics that right. this just crosses all all boundaries mm -hmm. I don't know um yeah. it's um I hope it does foster dialogue. It seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and quite honestly, that's, you know, sort of a, a closing question in a way, which would be, you know, what do you have as a hope, you know, that audiences would take away from the musical story of uh, the com the comedian harmonists? For me, it's, it's very simple. I hope that some people like you learn about this story and which they did not know and learn who these six remarkable guys were and how three Jews and three Gentiles got together and created something beautiful that, and, and that's the way it could be rather than what happened uh, to them. Uh, you know, I, I, I said to uh, somebody when I was a kid, I saw a funny girl. I didn't know who Fanny Bryce was. I learned who Fanny Bryce was by seeing that show. I hope some people, young, not so young, come to Harmony and come out knowing who the comedian harmonists were and what an extraordinary story uh, they, they lived. Uh, and that would make me very, very happy. These are people worth remembering, and this is a story that should be remembered. Mm. Well, I am so excited to see it myself eventually, hopefully soon. And uh, it's just remarkable to talk to you because, again, this is history 
past and present that we're discussing yes. and, they're, and they're so aligned and i think it's such an important show so thank you mr bruce lessman for creating this show with barry and uh, continued success i wish you much success with the show thank you forward. so much Corey, and happy new year thank you happy new year to you Thank you for listening to Core Issues with me, Corey Andrew. For future episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. On Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, you can follow me at Corey Andrew. And follow the Core Issues Facebook page at Core Issues Media. 